Boy, it just seems like the news is filled with so many hurting people. It's really hard to find any good news at all. Sometimes I wonder if I ought to just cancel the paper and cut off Fox News. I know. It gets so depressing when we think about all the bad stuff that's happening around us. But you know what? Speaking of hurting people, I received a text from Mitchell's mom last week, and she was wanting to know if we'd like to donate to the MDA in memory of him. Oh, yeah, he was that teenager that you took care of for a long time. Yeah, and you know what? I found some pictures of him that she had given us. Wow, all the memories that that brings back. You know, he was 16 years old when I first met him. He was a skinny little kid in a wheelchair, and he loved to play computer games for hours and hours. He was really shy around me at first, though, because he didn't want to have a girl for his nurse. How's his mom and dad and the family doing now? You know, it's really been tough. Um, when she had their second son, and he was born with the same disease that Mitchell had, muscular dystrophy, um, she carried a lot of guilt because she was told she was the carrier. And um, some days, you know, have been really rough for her and just too much to bear. I remember there were times when I would just wrap my arms around her and let her cry out some of her pain and sadness. Yeah, I remember talking to Mitchell's dad and asked him how the community could reach out to him, and he just didn't seem to want that help, or he just wanted to do it himself. Maybe he was just filled with a lot of anger. Wow, was he ever, ever angry. I tell you, you know, he loved his job, but every time Mitchell would end up in the hospital, he'd have to miss a lot of work, and usually it was a two-week stay in the hospital. And then there were nights when he'd come in the room after everybody was asleep, and he'd sit there and he would vent for hours about how their life had been changed forever. Life was really difficult for them in so many ways. It affected his career. And, you know, I really don't think he would have retired as soon as he did if Mitchell hadn't been doing as bad. Yeah. You know, there wasn't much downtime for them, uh, no more family vacations. And their big deal of the week was to go to Walmart if I was there to take care of Mitchell. And, you know, Mitchell had ended up with a tracheotomy. He was on a ventilator, he was bedbound, and he had to be fed through a tube. I think grief and loss and anger became a huge part of their lives, and um, it was their new norm. They had to face death every day, and when it comes to your children, it's got to be almost unbearable. But you know, Mitchell never lost his faith in God. He accepted his disease and the limitations. But you know what? He was a regular kid. He loved to have fun. He loved to laugh. And the thing he loved the most was the holidays. I remember we would decorate his room, and we'd decorate him. He loved it. The only thing that I can think of that he really missed was eating. He'd watch the Food Channel for hours. And so one night, he asked his mom and me if we would start praying and ask the Lord to let him go ahead and eat real food again. But his mom was always honest and open with him. And I remember him looking at her for the longest time. And he said, okay, okay. He had total faith that God was going to take care of him. No matter how much we prepare for death, it really just comes as a shock to all of us who just sit and have to wait and watch. Well, you know, I remember that phone call. It was June 26th. And you and I were sitting at IHOP in Columbus, Georgia, having breakfast for supper. And... His dad called to say that Mitchell had passed away the day before. And then a couple months later, 
I had gotten an email from his mom, and she said the day that his heart began to fail, she stepped over to his hospital bed and she saw him mouth two words, okay, okay, and then he closed his eyes for the last time. Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. There's a lot of families going through what Mitchell and his family went through. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. One of the conventions, they said, our land is racked with misery and despair. Well, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that pain in such a way? As I read this passage of Scripture, I find hope. I find uh, a newness that drives us each and every day. I find this passage of Scripture that talks about, have you considered my servant Job? As you read chapter 1 and chapter 2, you find the account of a scene that takes place in heaven, a place in which God is meeting with his angels and with those that are of the heavenly host. And as they gather on this particular day, Satan appears with them. And they begin to talk and have a conversation. And when God presents to Job, he asks him, presents to Satan, he asks him, have you examined and looked at this man called Job? And the first thing I find and the first thing that Jesus says, and that God says to him, is that he's a man of character, he's blameless, he's perfect, he's complete, he's pious within his own right. These are the same words that God uses of Noah and of Abraham. Blameless, complete, a man that is upright, that is a straight arrow, that his moral composition, his moral being is of such that he is a man of integrity. That when he says something, he does what he says. He means what he says. He is direct. You can trust him. You can lean on him. He's a man of faith. He fears God. He fears God in such a way that when his children have parties and when they get together, he's so afraid that they may do something that would be disobedient or that would be a sin before God that no, uh, that Job goes out and he makes a sacrifice for his children. He understands God. He understands the penalty of sin. He understands the honor and the integrity of God. He shuns evil. He runs from it. He hates evil with a passion. And there we find Satan standing before God, accusing this man called Job. Notice in verse 9 through 11 he says, does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replies. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? 
You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Here is Satan, the adversary. Here is Satan, the accuser. Here is Satan, the enemy of God and of man. Here is Satan in Matthew 13, 19 that is described as the evil one. And in 1 Peter 5, 8 is said to be roaming around the earth seeking whom he may devour. Satan, this same Satan that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 18 and 19, Paul talks about. He says, for we want to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But what happened? Satan stopped me. Satan has the power. Satan has the ability to hinder the work of God. He has the ability to restrict in the flow and the blessings of God. He is a deceiver, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He masquerades as an angel of light. This week, Ben and I were playing on the iPad, and he goes, I want to see a picture of the devil. Well, you know, when you start Googling stuff, you got to watch what you Google. Well, we Googled the devil, and there popped up the picture of him in his red outfit with his horns and with his pitchfork. And some other pictures of him, okay? Other people dressed as what they think Satan would look like. But God's word says he masquerades as an angel of light. And many times we're looking for the pitchfork and we're looking for the, uh, the horns and we're looking for the red suit. And he comes dressed up in a suit. He comes dressed up as a GQ picture. He comes up as someone that is very non-threatening. And he deceives us, and we begin to believe what he says. Notice his first charge. He says, God, Job has been protected. He's your pet. My grandmother and I had a very special relationship, so special that my uncles and aunts used to think that I had the favorite position. I was the pet. They, were, they had to take care of me. When I was little, they had to take me to the park, and they had to play with me, and they had to babysit me and all these other things. And uh, needless to say, as I got older, they took their revenge out on me. But it's great being the pet. Okay, it is really great. But Job made this accusation to God that Job was his pet. And therefore, nothing evil could happen to him that he was protecting him. The second charge was that God had placed a, a hedge of protection around him. And that no matter what happened, he was protected. I wonder today, in the court of heaven, could God recommend us? As men and women, could God recommend us to Satan to say, Consider my servant Lynn consider my servant Jackie would we be declared as men and women of principle and of belief and of conviction and of value or would we be lukewarm would we be like the waves of the sea would he recommend us as men and women that hate evil that stand against evil 
that when we come into the presence of evil, we are so uncomfortable and we are so dismayed and we are so passionate that we have to leave because we cannot bring the presence of God into that evil place. And we look at evil differently nowadays than we have in the past, have we not? My daughters would tell you that when Applebee's first came out, I wouldn't let them go because it had a bar in the middle of it. And Christians shouldn't be caught in a bar. And I was emphatic. And now I go to Applebee's and to Chili's and to all these places that have what? A bar in the middle of it. It's amazing how we change our perspective and how we let the... the Appearance of evil just move on top of us and it becomes acceptable. Have we become waves of the sea? Can God recommend us as men and women that fear him? In Psalms the 33rd chapter, verse 8, he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Do we fear God? Or do we think, well, you know, it'll be okay in the by and by. Would God find that Satan would charge against us something that we would have to repent of? You know, in Scripture it talks about standing before God and our life being played before him. And many times in the early 50s, 60s, and 70s, we went, how in the world could this be? But we know how that can be today, can we not? We know that everything we do and say is caught on camera somewhere. And some people do it intentionally. Go to YouTube and you'll find all kinds of people recording all kinds of things, the good and the bad. So it's not hard for us to imagine today standing before God and one day on the screen for all the world to see, for my grandmother to see, for my dad to see, for my mom to see, all those things that were done in secret things that I thought nobody would ever find out, reveal for the world, condemned by the very nature of God. But what happens here is that not only does God ask Satan to consider Job, but he allows Satan to go out and to bring calamity upon him. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, it's an interesting passage of Scripture because, you know, he sends Satan out to bring about and to test Job. And how does he test Job? Notice that the very first thing that he does is that he tests Job not by himself. Satan's not coming up to, to Job and going, okay, Job, I'm going to do this to you. It is that Satan uses men. He uses men to steal his camels. He uses men to take off his oxen and his donkeys. He uses men to bring about this pain in Job's life. All the things that he had worked for, all the things he had achieved, materially, these men came out and took from him. As I look at that passage of Scripture in chapter 1, notice verse 16, 17, and 18. And notice that Satan brings about this trial, brings about this calamity in a very fast uh, a very uh, rapid movement. It says, while he was still speaking, while men were bringing the message of the calamities, as men were talking about how his uh, animals were stolen, as they talked about the loss of his donkeys and oxen, as those messages keep coming in, 
Job is almost overwhelmed. He has no time to recover from the shock of hearing the first trial and the first calamity before he hears the second and the third. You know, trials come into our life and they just seem to come in groves, don't they? When it begins to rain, it just seems to flow. We talked about everything coming in threes. Pastoring, it used to be that death, when funerals would come, we could almost count them. And when they'd start, they'd just, there wouldn't be just one death a month. It'd end up with three and four deaths a month. It just seemed like patterns just flowed. Affliction, afflictions do not often come alone. They come in groups, in pairs. Suffering is harder when we really don't know why. You know, here's Job being attacked by men, stolen, deceived. These attacks come in such a way that he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand what's taking place about him. And as we look at today, we understand calamities in America. We understand calamities in Alabama. We understand what it does when it touches our life. Psalms 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, but when they carry out their wicked schemes. September 11th is just around the corner for us, isn't it? We understand the schemes of men. We understand how men plan in secret in the darkness of night to deceive, to destroy, and to kill. We understand those calamities. And many of us lost people either in the Twin Towers or at the Pentagon or in Pennsylvania. We remember their lives. We remember their children who have had to have been raised without a mom or without a dad. We're touched by those schemes of men. Men have broken into your house. They've stolen your identity. They've taken your money. They've destroyed your property. You've been in accidents where drunken drivers have caused death and destruction. Murder has touched our lives. These calamities are there. But notice that these attacks were not only by men. But notice the second type is that acts of God. You know, that legal term that says those events outside human control. And here you find lightning striking the flocks of Job. Here you find tornadoes taking and destroying the house in which his children are partying in. Seven sons and three daughters. They must have been married. There must have been children. There must have been grandchildren. It was a catastrophe. It was a, a calamity that was beyond understanding, beyond emotion. It destroyed the very being of Job and his wife. And we understand natural disasters, do we not? We understand April 27th and 62 tornadoes and 248 Alabamians just losing their lives. We understand the tsunami with 15,000 killed in one event. The Haiti earthquakes with 316,000 dead. And even still today, their houses are not rebuilt. And when storms come in, they still find themselves in the path of destruction. We are not exempt. Matthew, 25, Matthew 5, 25 says, rain falls on the just and the unjust. And if you were in the path of those tornadoes in Tuscaloosa 
or in Pleasant Grove or wherever, you were there, were you not? It didn't weave past you because you were a Christian. It destroyed the homes of Christians and unbelievers alike. It took the lives of believers and unbelievers. Matthew 24, 7 says it's the signs of the time, the end times. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. It seems like every time we turn on the news and watch the television, there's something going on, disastrous. But notice the third thing that happens. Not only is Satan attacking Job with other men and the activities of other men, not only with acts of God, but notice he attacks him with disease. In Job, the second chapter, verse 7, the sores that come from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, the infection, the itching, the pain that is in there. He is in such pain. And we understand that today. We understand how cancer destroys the lives of men and women every day. We understand how heart attacks seem to pop up and seem to affect us in so many ways. We understand even Paul had a thorn in the flesh there in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 7. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Even the Apostle Paul even one who had come face to face with God, with Jesus Christ himself, one who was empowered by the power of God, one who has written for us scriptures, one who has led and started churches all through Asia Minor, one who was a mighty warrior of God, was afflicted in his body. And he prayed over it. And he pleaded before God. And God said, my grace is sufficient to carry you through. Notice the consequences of these trials. I believe there in, second, uh, in Job, the second chapter, verse 9, it challenges our faith. Notice what his wife says to him. Are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? Curse God and die. She was in pain. She had lost her children. She had lost possibly grandchildren. All her life, all the signs of prosperity and all the signs of respect and all the position that she had in the community were gone. They were wiped out. She was grieving. She was hurting. It was painful in her life. She loved her husband. And she couldn't see walking in every single day and seeing him in pain and in agony. She couldn't do anything about it. It was frustrating. It was hard. And so she questions. I also believe Satan probably was standing around a little bit, listening and whispering in Job's ear, going, Job, you know, God really doesn't know what you're going through. He really doesn't care. He doesn't understand. He probably doesn't even understand the circumstances that you're in. You know, when these trials and calamities come our way, it makes us test our faith. We wonder whether God really hears us. We wonder in the darkness of night as we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we get no answer. We get no relief. We get no solution. No doctors can help us. No money can buy a solution. And we're out there in pain crying out before God. 
it tests our faith. It puts us on the mat. But notice it changes our faith. There in Job, the second chapter, verse 12, his friends come to see him. And when they see him, they don't even recognize him. They don't even recognize him because that pain and that, that stress and all that's going on in his life, that grief that is overwhelming him, has changed his face, has changed his body. That robust, that strong, that mighty man, that one that stood tall amongst his neighbors, now found himself sitting on the ground in ashes and in sackcloth. He found himself in pain every day. When calamities come our way, it robs our joy. It takes and steals the smile from our face. Our look of hope soon becomes lines of worry. The stress and the strain just take us over. It affects the way we walk. It affects the way we sit. It affects the way we speak. It affects the way we interact with others. But notice the other thing. Not only does it change our face, but it confronts and confirms our foundation. What are we standing on? <coughs> Is it God and God alone? Psalms 13, 5 through 6, he says, But I trust in you, un, in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Are we trusting in God? When darkness surrounds us, when it seems all our world has been destroyed, when our bank account is empty, when our house has been demolished, when we stand out there in the middle of the field with nothing, when we're naked before God, are we standing upon our faith? I will trust in the Lord. I will trust him. I'm not going to trust in the armies of men. In Psalms 20, verse 7, he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. No matter what our armies may be able to do, no matter what our economy may be able to do, no matter what our political leaders are able to do, they will not be able to overcome that which God is capable of. Are we standing upon our own logic and reason? In Colossians, the second chapter, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes, your, uh, takes you captive through hollow and deceitful philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Are you standing upon the self-help books that you get at the store? We've got lots of them, don't you? You can go to the store today and you can get all kinds of books that will tell you how to overcome stress, how to improve your relationship, how to become a better person, how to win friends, how to make money, how to do all kinds of stuff. Are you trusting on the philosophy of men? Are you listening to the business channel there and picking your stocks out, hoping that they'll be able to tell you what to do? If so, I've got some I'll sell you, okay? I tried that. It don't work too well, okay? Are we trusting in the logic of men? Well, I believe victory can be ours. And I believe victory comes to us when we learn how to rely on God's plan. When we understand that God has a will for our life and when he has a plan for our life. And though we don't see what's happening in heaven. And though we don't hear the conversation between God and be, be, uh, be with Satan. 
we understand that we, God has a plan for us, a plan that is direct, that is his perfect will. And we stand in that plan. We find victory when we learn how to stand on his promises. God has promised us with all the power of heaven, with all the resources of heaven. God has promised to give us that victory and to give us that which we need to get through every day, to overcome that which the world hurls at us, to overcome the temptations of Satan. He has given us the victory to learn that we must pray in our trials. You know, we as a church pray collectively and individually. And Miss Jane would love us to pray more and more. But you know what, Miss Jane? Where's Miss Jane? Miss Jane's back here somewhere. Right there is Miss Jane. I really want and need people to pray that love the Lord. It's not the number, is it? as much as it is the quantity, the quality of that, that prayer, of that commitment to people. A lot of people praying in general, but we have some people here that are really prayer warriors. And we've seen some answer to prayer. We've seen some answer to prayer in mighty ways. And I believe that God answers prayer. And I believe if we're going to have victory over the trials and calamities in our life, we're going to have to understand prayer and how we use it. We're going to have to learn that we need to rejoice in the midst of trials. Now, that's a hard thing to do. I don't know about you. I find that hard to do. Lord, thank you for ha me being in this car wreck. You know, that's not normally my first thought when I, that happens. When that car wreck, somebody bangs up my car, or I see somebody has scraped my car, or that, that is not the first thought. I have to confess. I'm usually looking for them, okay? I want to know who did it. I want to know who's going to pay and how's it going to get fixed. But we need to learn how to rejoice in the midst of those trials. We need to find God's hand moving. And if you probably haven't seen that, you probably ought to get online and talk to Tessa. I don't know of anyone through all the trials in her life that can praise the Lord anymore and have a smile on her face and reach out to others in such a powerful way. It's amazing when you see the power of God change a person's heart and give them the joy, even in the midst of trial. We need to learn how to rejoice. Our prayer today is found in Psalms, the 40th chapter, verse 1 through 4. You may find yourself this morning in the midst of those trials. You may find yourself in the midst of those calamities. Your 401 may look as empty as ever, okay? Your job may be as shaky as ever before. And every single time you hear those thoughts, you may be wondering whether you're the next one on the list. Your family may be disarray. And you may be in such pain right now, you just don't even know how you're going to sit here. Notice the psalmist and what he says in Psalms, the 40th chapter, verse 1 through 4. I wait patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. And heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. And gave me a firm place to stand. He put in me. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man or the woman who makes the Lord his trust. 
David understood what it was to be chased by men. He understood what it was to be criticized and ridiculed. He knew what it was to fail God. He knew what it was to fall on his face and have to repent because sin had taken his life. But he prays, God, don't ever let me out of your hand. Don't ever let me away from understanding who you are in me. This morning you may find yourself in the midst of that calamity. You may find yourself in the midst of that pain. You may not see a way out. But let me tell you something. God knows how you're going to get out. God has prepared a way. He has prepared a path. He has prepared the resources. And you simply, and I simply, have to trust him and stand prepared to follow his leadership. And sometimes it's just standing in the darkness and trusting the Lord. I don't know about you. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Some of us are driven to find solutions. You know what that is. Your wife comes in and sits at the table and begins to tell you the woes of the week. She tells you how her boss has done this, this, and that. She tells you all the pain that she's feeling, and the whole time, what are you doing? I know what I'm doing. Okay, Monday morning, here's what you do. You go in, set an appointment with your boss, and you tell him this, 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 and this. And Jackie looks at me and she says, you haven't heard a word I said. And I went, I heard every word you said, and I got the plan. Okay. She says, but you haven't heard. I haven't heard what's in her heart. I haven't heard that frustration. I haven't heard that, uh, I haven't heard that pain that is there. Sometimes we stand and are so overcome that we can't even figure out a plan. Our life is so confused and so obliterated in all that is around us. God loves us. He wants to give us that solution that we need. Do you stand there today? Shall we pray? Father, you know and I know that there's many here They're being tried by Satan. They're being tried by men. That sickness has overcome them. And they don't know why. And they don't know how they're going to overcome. There's things in their lives, there's decisions that need to be made. And it seems so dark and it seems so cold and it seems so frustrating. And it seems so empty around them. And they can't see a light. And they can't see a path. And they don't understand how they're going to get out of this mess. But Father, you do. You have an answer. You have a solution. And Father, today we pray that we'll stand and trust you. That we'll put ourselves into your hands. That we'll rely upon your will. That we'll seek your guidance. And that you will walk with us, even in the darkest of nights, even in the storms of this life, even when all seems to fail around us, may we know you're there and that you love us and that you care for us. Encourage us as the people of God as we stand on your word. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand and sing together hymn number 277.
You may just need to come and pray. You just may need to make a decision. God may be touching you in a mighty way. As God leads you, may you make that. As we stand and sing hymn number 277. hand to your left and to your right, remembering that as we all stand in that place of need, that God desires to lead us in a powerful way. As we sing our hymn of closing. Alleluia, what a Savior. Jesus is that friend for all. may you grant us the peace that passes all understanding. Father, as we leave this place, may you remind us that no matter what trials come our way, we find hope in the risen Savior whom you've called us to follow each and every day. Grant us your peace, protect us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.